0: San Francisco's Millennium Tower is one of the premier residential high rises in the city. It stands 58 stories high and has commanding views over the Bay Area. It's pretty close to the Giants' ballpark, so it's in this prime location within the downtown San Francisco area. But if you've heard that name, it's likely not because it's this prized real estate place. It's because it's been a bit of a mess, structurally speaking. It has been tilting northward at the rate of about three inches a year, It was built in 2009, so it's somewhere between two and three feet off center. The foundation during that time has sunk a foot and a half. This has caused some concern for the residents who bought in early. That's why it's been in the news. Some people have been quite concerned. They've left or they've filed lawsuits or they've gotten onto the city who's gotten onto the engineers who've now gotten onto the foundation. But it is the foundation, of course, that's the problem. It is the reason why the Millennium Tower is tilting more and more each year. That visual, if you will, that kind of scariness, if you think about it, I mean, if you think about you being on the 58th story, what would you be thinking? You might be like, might be time to head to the burbs. I don't know, but nobody really wants to be up there with with the foundation being in the shape that it's in. So we hope that it gets better, but we'll see. But that whole idea of the necessity of a foundation for a structure to actually survive things that come against it. In San Francisco, we have any number of seismic events, mostly small, thank God, but you just never know in this area. But Jesus uses that same imagery to convey something that we really need to hear. We're in the, the last Sunday of the readings around the Sermon on the Plain, Luke 6. Hear what he has to say in the last four verses of that. Cindy read it. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? As for everyone who, put, who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice... I will show you what they are like. They are like a man who builds a house, who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When the flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it, because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. It's interesting that Jesus concludes this sermon on the plain as it's been called to those that are hearing with essentially a warning. He he's not cheering them on, he's not saying this is great. He's actually getting their mind focused on what the most important aspect, the big takeaway of that sermon is, and it is that they would actually put his words into practice. It's not enough, he's saying, just to listen and to be inspired. You actually have to act on what you've heard. Or in more modern parlance, it's not enough just to be a subscriber and hit the like button. You actually have to move forward and act on what you've seen. That is what it means to be my disciple. Not just to be a hearer, but a doer. And when you actually put my words into practice, you are like somebody who's building their life On a firm foundation, the foundation being rock, but that rock is not readily accessible, is not immediately there. Apparently, you know, the visual that's conveyed is that the person next to him is building their house without any foundation, without any digging, without any discovery of the rock. But Jesus is saying, if we want a life that's going to withstand the challenges, the storms, the torrents, not only in this life as his disciple, but that would enable us to have a life that gains, has that assurance of eternity. We must be people that actually put his words into practice. We must be people that are digging on the foundation, digging that firm foundation, laying that foundation on which we build our lives, on which we build that house. In the context of this sermon, to be a disciple, as you've heard Cindy talk last week about loving our enemies, and before that we talked about who the blessed were. So just this this challenge to build our lives on the word of God is, is in the context of the sermon on the plain. It means that if you're going to appropriate in Christ's words and build them into your life, you're going to be one who sides with those who are blessed, those who are poor, those who are, Destitute, those who are looking for consolation because life has its challenges and its hardships. You will be concerned and wary of of hanging out with those that are already satisfied, those that are rich, those that are seeking after the things just of this world, the good opinion of others. Those are the ones that we saw a few weeks ago that Jesus is speaking about with woe and with, with warning. As disciples... We are to love our enemies, to go the extra mile, to be kind to those who are wicked, to be merciful to those who need it, to refrain from being judgmental, from being condemning, from finding fault. We're to be those who have a God-formed heart that's reflected by the good fruit that's born out of our lives. Jesus says if we live lives like that, we we will be able to withstand all the pressures all the challenges, all the distractions that come against the people of God. The one who does not put the the Lord's words into practice is one who has no foundation, so that when that torrent comes, and Jesus isn't, he's not equivocal about whether it's coming. It is coming for both builders. The question is not whether it's coming. The question is what happens when it comes. So he says, don't merely be a hearer of the word, be one who puts it into practice. This isn't just Jesus. You know that his disciples have echoed that. Probably you're thinking of what James says when he says, Don't merely be a hearer of the word. In this first chapter, he, he says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And then after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like, speaking to how the word accurately displays who we are. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, that is to put it into practice, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Friends, there's no way to live the life that Christ calls us to live without actually taking the words that he so preciously gives us that we read each week that we are together and start to continue to ask, Lord, how does this manifest itself in my life? Because the Lord is telling us it is a matter of withstanding challenges, pressures, things that come against us, not right away. Both houses look the same. The one on the firm foundation looks exactly like the one on the ground. But they do get tested at some point in the future. And the Lord wants us to withstand that test. Now, if we're honest, why is it that we actually resist Jesus' words to put things into practice? This is where you can, like, throw some amens and we can be call and response. But I don't know about you, but when I was looking at this, I'm like, honestly, I resist this call. And for for a couple reasons that occurred to me, I, I... Suggest they probably resonate with you as well. The first one is we, 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 when we talk about a firm foundation, sometimes we just stop digging. You want to continue with that analogy. We're not forming our, for our foundation anymore. Kind of put our tools down like the Millennium Tower. We got most of the foundation right. There's just this little corner that's kind of troublesome. That can be us. One of the reasons I think that is, is when it comes to God's word, don't we play favorites it's almost like a song list. We got favorite scriptures. We, we click them on. And it's so great. I'm so, you know, this is what I need. Usually these scriptures come out of a place of need that we have. If you've ever been in a worrisome place or an anxious season, maybe you're going to run, as I've done in the past, to Psalm 27.1. The Lord is my shepherd. Excuse me. The Lord, is, uh, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid there's such power in that. There's like, what can stand against me? What am I worried about that somehow God doesn't have more power than? Me? So I love that verse. We have our favorites. What's your favorite? No weapon formed against you will prosper. And we can just go around the room and like pop up, a, hit our favorite playlist, like a jukebox. Put it in, F6, out comes a verse. But what about the verses that we don't like to get to? The ones that we tend to avoid. The ones that show up and are like, oh, man, that's a toughie. I didn't, you know, I was starting to meditate on that, but that got too hard. Like, for example, what if when we're wronged by somebody, are we quick to forgive? Or do we just like nursing that wound a little bit? Man, that cut me. I'm going to look at it. I'm going to watch it puff up. I'm going to watch it turn red. I actually don't want it to get better because I want them to realize how much they hurt me. And so I'm going to withhold forgiveness. They, they got to admit what's happened and i'm not gonna you know i'm not going to those verses i'm not i'm not going to read the lord's prayer which afterwards in matthew's version says forgive as the lord says for for if you forgive other people when they sin against you your heavenly father will also forgive you okay I'm, i'm warming to that lord but if you do not forgive others their sins your father will not forgive your sins I think this is one of the verses that we continually don't apply. We're like, Lord, you forgave me. You've forgiven me all my sins, past, present, and future. So I'm okay in being in this place of woundedness, being in this place of unforgiveness. But I would say that if we're going to use all the verses that the Lord says to put them into practice as he exhorts us at the end of the Sermon on the Plain, we have to look at the ones that are hard, the ones that are difficult, the ones that we don't necessarily understand, the ones that are confusing. And we have to say, Lord, show me who you are in the midst of those verses. How can I be your disciple in that place? Help me to go to, to that next place. So sometimes we just have our favorite verses, but we don't want to get to the others. Another reason that we don't necessarily uh, dig all the foundation that, down to the rock that we need is that we, we prefer to hold Jesus in a certain image. We have a a certain image of the Lord that, again, is sort of a go-to for us. I I don't know what yours is. Um, And if it's really taken to an extreme, we can really drain the Lord of his power and his passion and his love and his sovereignty and his will. Some of you may know that Thomas Jefferson, one of our early presidents, actually took the time to create his own Bible. Well, technically it was a book that he created called The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. But he started with a form of Christ in his mind who was essentially a good moral teacher. And the way he got there, so when he read his Bible and he found that there were things that countered that image, he literally took a razor and glue and cut out all those pieces of the, of the Gospels in particular. Anything that spoke to, about Jesus' divinity, anything that spoke of the miracles that he worked, anything that referred to his resurrection. Essentially, everything that was essential about who Christ was. Jefferson thought that it was okay just to take the razor, cut those out, and leave just ribbons. I don't know how big that book was, but it wasn't anywhere near the size of the Gospels. But we have our own version of sort of cutting out certain things. We see him as one... Jesus often surprises us if we really take an honest look at his word. You know, yes, he's one that goes up to the temple to teach, and we would love to be with him at the temple, hearing what he would say. And a lot of that is captured in the gospels. But then, you know, would we want to go up with him when he's turning over tables of the money changers? I don't know. He told Peter that Peter was blessed because heaven and earth had not, you know, heaven had revealed to him his confession that Jesus, that Jesus was the Christ. And then, in that same chapter, a few moments later, he calls him Satan. Jesus surprises us. The image that we have of him will not, is not the entire image of who he is. And if we would open up to scripture, he would show that. He's the image of the loving father in the parable of the prodigal son. But then he says, I did not come to bring peace on earth, but a sword. And that a man's enemies will be members of his own household. He had a great opportunity to speak truth to power during his trial, but he didn't say very much. He surprises us. He will not fit into just the favorite preferred image that we would have. Now, I don't want to be too heavy on us. We all, we need the Lord. We need, when I'm I'm sick, I am thinking of Jesus as the healer. You know, Jesus is the healer. It's kind of a big image for me right now. And I think that's okay. When we sin, he is our forgiver. He is the one who can do the impossible when we don't see a way. All those are important. He's the one who calls us to boldness. But he's, and he's also the one who models laying down our lives. We follow the cross as a procession. But it's so much easier to do that at the front of the service that during, during a hard part in our relational world when somebody has just been you know, stepping on our last nerve and we're like, oh my goodness, am I still wanting to follow that, his cross at that point? So the Lord that calls us to put his words into practice will not sit by while we only prefer some of those words. He will not sit by while we just say, I like this image of you, and I'm a little confused and frankly a little scared of those images. He wants us to know much more of him than we would care to to allow his words to penetrate more deeply, to form that foundation of our lives, to withstand the things. And, and by withstanding, by the way, it's not just dealing with stuff that comes against us. It's, always, it's also preparing us for fruit and, and ministry and all kinds of things that he would call us to do. But he can't do that if we haven't learned some of the basic lessons. As an athlete, you're not going to put somebody on your first... As a coach, you won't put an athlete on your first string unless they've been tested through earlier matches and earlier games and have felt the pressure and performed at a certain level. It's not because you're, you're mean. It's because you don't want them to fail or the effort to fail. There's some aspect of being trained that the Lord allows us to do if we would move forward by putting his words into practice. Now, here's the key. Lest we feel overly burdened, you know, Jesus, the one who warns us about not putting his words into practice is at the same time the one who comes alongside of us and helps us dig our foundation, helps us get down to the rock. He's not like some building inspector who comes along and looks at our life and says it's not up to code, check, you know, go get it fixed and come back when you're ready. Instead, he's like a wise foreman who gets into the the ditch with us. And starts helping us, starts pointing out places where we need to fix up that foundation. It draws our attention over here. And so I wonder as as we head into Lent what the next step might be for us. You know, it's no coincidence that, that Lent is here. God uses all these these wonderful things. But Lent is this amazing time. It is a season in the liturgical year where we're we're supposed to say, Lord, okay, I really want to do business with you. I'm I'm gonna create some space to hear what you want to say to me so that I might know you better, be better equipped to be who you need me to be in my family relationships, in my marriage, on my job, in my ministry. Lord, you've given me all these wonderful things, but I can't do them without you. Lord, I need to confess in the context here that there's some of your words that I don't want to put into practice. Some of your words that, frankly, I would prefer to resist. Some of the things I'd wish you would just pass it on, almost like a child being called on in class. Have you ever been in that place where it's like, you know, teacher says, who has the answer to this question? You're like, even if you have the answer, you don't want to raise your hand. Sometimes we just want to be passed by by the Lord. But Lent is that time where it's like, it's not time to be passed by. It's time to allow this Lord to, who loves us to embrace us and to feel the pain of resisting him, but also to feel the way that he comes along and he soothes and he binds up our our cares and our concerns. And he says, it's, it'll be okay. He says, I'm helping you dig down to the rock so that you will be able to withstand the things in this life, so that you will know that you will gain eternity with me in the next. So I prayed specifically, and this is my own thing, and this would be something that we would, I hope, talk about in our small groups, Lenten small groups. What What is a scripture maybe that you've been avoiding? Or or even a concept. Maybe you're not even at the scripture phase yet, but she's like, I just don't understand how God is a... Jesus is this. Like This is a good time to lean into that. What is an image of the Lord that, that we keep hearing from friends and we don't understand? They, they seem to know the Lord in this way, but I don't know the Lord that way. What, am I missing something? So my prayer again for us is that as a congregation in our small groups, we would use Lent to create that space so that we could be like his disciples and say it. I want to put your words into practice, to know that I am on that firm foundation, to let my life count as much as it can possibly do, and to know you in ways that I don't yet know you. I think that is his plan for us, or part of his plan for us in Lent. And I look forward to sharing how that journey is as we go along. Amen. Thanks for being with us online in the sermon podcast. To find out more about Holy Trinity Silicon Valley, head to www.holytrinitysv.org.